Today's episode of the RomaPress.us podcast is brought to you by EuroFantasyLeague.com. For the best in online fantasy football, check out EuroFantasyLeague.com to get started and see if you have what it takes to challenge the best CDA, Premier League, or La Liga fantasy managers. Cerca di contrastarlo Juan Jesus, il tocco di Esharawi, cerca il colpo di tacco, attenzione Nainggolan, riesce a mantenere il possesso di palla, palla sulla destra verso Bruno Perez, avanza Samir davanti a lui, ancora Bruno Perez cerca spazio, il tocco è arretrato e per Strottman lancia in area di rigore per Nainggolan, tira go, go, go! to the Roma Press podcast with John Solano. Well, if that voice of Carlo Zampa doesn't get you in the mood and excited for tomorrow's match against Liverpool, then frankly, I don't know what will. Welcome to another edition of the Roma Press podcast. I'm Roma Press.us editor John Solano. And yeah, um, a day away, second leg against Liverpool. Certainly going to discuss that. We will discuss uh, Roma's 4-1 victory over Chievo at the weekend. We'll look ahead to this weekend's match um, at Cagliari, um, which is vitally, vitally important for Roma's uh, Champions League qualification for next season. And then we are going to be joined by... David Amoyo, uh, fellow Venetian and writer at GianlucaDeMarzio.com, ESPN. You can find him all over, um, and you can also hear him on his podcast, the Couchland Podcast. And um, going to discuss, obviously, the um, the upcoming match with Liverpool with him. We will also discuss. A little bit, very, very, very little, just because we have a we have a while until the summer transfer window opens, and we can discuss all of the um, the conjecture, the madness, the crazy rumors. Um, we'll discuss a little bit with that um, on that with him, um, but let's start with um, let's start with tomorrow, uh, second leg against Liverpool. Um, you know, I I don't want to touch upon too much. Um, about the first leg, I mean, listen, terrible performance. Uh, Di Francesco got it all wrong. Horrible approach. Um, everything was wrong. Um, for me, the biggest lesson to be learned, don't go three at the back again. Um, that was, yeah, about as disastrous as you could ask for. Um Roma got it all wrong, and despite the 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 brilliant punditry from the UK, um, it, it wasn't an issue of pace that led to Roma getting smacked down. Um, as Di Francesco said, as Florenzi said, as Monchi said, it was the positioning, it was the movement. It was the lack of conviction that led to Roma being smacked down by Liverpool. So before we go any further, let's at least get that out of the way, just because I am not going to get or drawn into another debate about pace 
because Jesus, I've I've heard enough of that over the last week. Um, oh, just absolutely insane, 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 insane. Um, so yeah, as far as the first leg goes, yeah, three at the back, obviously, huge mistake, huge mistake. Um, I was really disappointed. Di Francesco wouldn't concede that in his post-match press conference, but. Um, it is what it is. Um, so <laughs> I'll just let that be. That I, I got really annoyed by that. But as far as tomorrow goes, listen, uh, Roma are going to go back to their preferred 4-3-3. Sheik is going to start. Jekyll is going to start. El Sharawi is going to start. You're going to see Pellegrini start. You're going to see De Rossi start. You're going to see Nangolan start. You're going to see Florenzi, Manolas, Fazio, Kolarov, Alisson. You know, there's no secrets for tomorrow. <laughs> um the approach they've got to take has to be infinitely different than what we saw in the first leg. And it can't be the same approach that they took against Barcelona. This is a completely different side, okay? These two teams play completely different football. And so for people to just say, well, they came back, you know, three down against Barcelona, they can certainly do it against Liverpool. It, it, I wish it worked like that, but it doesn't. Um, you know, they, they, Roma certainly have the ability to come back. They do. Um, they've been sensational at the Olimpico during the Champions League. Okay, they've been incredible at home. If they can apply the same defensive aptitude that they've shown in the previous matches, they'll at least give themselves a chance. Now, do I think they'll win three to nothing? No. Um, Four one? No. I, I I think it's going to be very difficult. I think they can win tomorrow. The margin, I don't know. Um, you know, my gut has been telling me three to one, um, but let's see. I, I mean, if if they, you know, if it's three to one with you know, ten fifteen minutes left in the match, I'll be over the moon. That's fantastic. That'd be great. So uh, you know, let's see what happens. I, I just think. If Roma can do a complete role reversal than what we saw in the first leg, they're at least going to give themselves an opportunity, which is really all we can ask for. You know, you don't concede. You know, I can't think of many sides that have conceded five goals in the first leg and at least have given themselves a fighter's chance in the second leg. Well, you know what? Roma are one of those sides. They have a small chance. So let's see what happens. You know, I'm not going to make a prediction. Um... You know, from the you know from the on start, I thought they would lose away from home, and I thought they would win at home. Um, I mean, obviously, when you get to this point, it's all about margin, margin of victory, margin of loss. So let's see what happens. Um, and really, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, again, am I expecting a victory? Yes. Am I expecting a victory by three goals? No. But you know what? Um, Miracles sometimes happen, as we saw against Barcelona. So let's just see what happens. Um, so moving on from there, um, really want to get to the victory against Kievo at the weekend. I was so happy, so pleased by the team's um, entire approach throughout the match. Um, you know, when, when you get towards the end of the season and you're facing these sides like Kievo, in this weekend, they're going to be facing Kai Yeti. You know, it is, 
you know, a lot of people want to chalk these matches up as an automatic three points. It's not. These teams are staving off relegation. They will do anything for a single point. Half of these teams, they would die for a 0-0. So they're going to close up shop at the back. They're going to defend with 10. And then they're going to leave one man forward, boot it forward, and hope to beat you on a counterattack. Okay, that's, I mean, that's the recipe for all of these teams at the bottom 10 of the City Out table. All 10 of them are terrible. This is the worst um, bottom half of the table I've ever seen um, since I've been following City Out. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm almost 30 years old. Um, you know, I am hard-pressed to think of a worse bottom 10 in this league um, than this season. It is so bad. So if, you know... If you ever need an example as to why City Odd needs to go to uh, 18 teams, um, just point to the season. Just hold up the table uh, just because the bottom 10 teams are atrocious. Um, and beyond the talent, uh, the lack of managerial ability at the bottom of the City Odd table is so embarrassing. You just have to wonder how half of these guys are even appointed. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. That doesn't matter. So... Yeah, the victory against Kievo, 4-1. to um, Fantastic performance in defense, in the midfield, in attack. The only person who deserves even an ounce of stick from that match is Juan Jesus. And he deserves every bit of criticism, every bit of insult, every bit of negativity that you could throw his way. Um, you know, this guy, when he arrived at Roma... Sabatini got a lot of stick for bringing him. He did. Um, he did not live up to the expectations at Inter. He was brought on as a second-choice player, which is fine. He was never going to start in front of Manolas or Fazio. But nonetheless, you know, he's been fairly strong since he arrived in his role. He's not a first-choice player. He's a second-choice player, and he's done pretty well when called upon. But he was an absolute embarrassment in that first leg against Liverpool. And he was an embarrassment against Kievo. His red card, his red card, and the penalty he conceded were clear as day. There's no arguing against that. Um, and if he never makes another appearance for Roma again, I'd be perfectly content. Perfectly content. He needs to go this summer. Um, so, aside from him, Alison, sensational. The safe penalty, his distribution on the goal of Jekyll was incredible. Um, Nangolan, wonderful. Um, Jekyll was great. Sheik, incredible. Pellegrini was good. Um, El Shadawi, my gosh, when he plays like that, he's unplayable. He's a fantastic player. Um, so really, really pleased with, with the entire team's performance. Um, so we're going to touch a little more upon that now, um, and we're going to touch again. We're going to revert a little back to the to the second leg with Liverpool because now we're going to bring on De- uh, David Amoyel. Uh, again, you guys know him. He's all over Twitter. You can find him on GianlucaDeMarzio.com. You can find him on ESPN. And then you can also listen to his sensational Couch Land podcast. Um, I've appeared on there a few times, and he's all over the map. Um, he's a big proponent of City A. Um, he's, he's waving the, uh, the City A flag high. So uh, now we would like to welcome on da- uh, David 
Hamoyel. I don't know why I'm having such a problem pronouncing his name. David, how are you? I'm doing great, John. It's uh, fantastic to finally be on your podcast, but I have to admit I'm a little bit nervous because here we're turning the tables. Usually I'm the one asking you questions, so let's see if I can live up to your standards. (laughs) Well, you know what? I I figured all the times you were generous to allow me on your podcast, I figured, you know what, I I have to get you on mine, Um, and especially with the good timing we have now because we have the second leg against Liverpool. Um, Yeah. Roma obviously concede by a huge, well, I won't say huge. They concede by a wide margin, and I think everybody has been saying the same thing. It's a completely different feeling than after the first leg against Barcelona. Is that something you'd agree with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, A, because of the performance that we saw from Roma against Barcelona, that result 4-1 was definitely not reflective, but in a good way for Roma, I felt like 5-2 Liverpool almost isn't fair to Liverpool. So you have that aspect. And the other thing, as you and many others have pointed out, is also the way Liverpool and Barcelona play. Like, uh, with Liverpool's devastating attack and how fast they are, Roma having to score some goals, it could really be a recipe for disaster. So while math tells us we're in exactly the same situation, I can certainly see how the vibe is quite different this time around. I'm glad you mentioned how fast they were. So anyone (laughs) who's followed me knows that (laughs) for the the last week – I have been having to stave off a lot, um, a few journalists from the UK in regards to why Roma lost 5 2. Yeah. And myself, Di Francesco, Lorenzi, Monchi, they all, because I'm obviously a very well informed individual, probably one of the more informed individuals on all of Twitter, um, <laughs> as anyone who follows me would agree, that it wasn't paced. <laughs> that it was positioning, that it was approach, that it was a conviction. Now, is that something you would agree with? Because I have to say, if we're just talking about strict pace, Roma themselves do not have much pace in their side. And if they really struggle with pace, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't you think they would be far worse off in the table? Because genuinely, they have little to no pace in the side anyway. Yeah, I I agree with that. And also, I mean, look, just because Liverpool, you know, ran over Roma with their speed doesn't really, you know, that could happen against every team. And I almost feel like, you know, if I look at some in the midfield, certainly we saw that was devastating for Roma, how slow they are. But on defense, you know, I'd say Manolas is one of the fastest center backs out there, you know, granted it's either one between Bruno Perez or Florenzi usually starting. I would say those guys at their position, at least in Serie A for Serie A standards, have pace, but the rest of the team, absolutely. In the midfield, they literally got run over, and I think Strutman, who's almost certainly going to miss tomorrow's match, that might actually be a blessing in disguise maybe. Maybe there'll be a little bit more speed there, but I feel like it's not so much a matter of Roma being slow. It's just how fast Liverpool is, and they'd make almost any team look bad in that regard. Yeah, I mean, my biggest concern was in the midfield. I mean, Derossi and Strootman, they did nothing to cut off the supply. I mean, absolutely nothing. And Liverpool were just, I mean, it was just sitting back and picking out whatever pass they wanted. So I... I completely disagreed with, oh, you know, they, they ran uh, they ran Roma off the pitch. I, I don't think that was the issue. And 
Incidentally enough, DiFrancesco agreed. So speaking of <laughs> DiFrancesco, um, in his post-match interview after the first leg, he did not think that his tactics were an issue. Now, we all have our opinion on DiFrancesco, but just as far as his ability, this is his first season on the quote-unquote big stage. Do you think he's handled it pretty well? Because i got to be honest. Um, you know, you and I both uh, subscribe to the school of thought that it doesn't really matter what a manager, an agent, a player says publicly. What yeah. goes on behind the scenes matters far more. Um, but as far as just grading his first season on the quote-unquote big stage, I assume you would say he's done fairly well for himself, yes? Yeah, I think, you know, it's been kind of a roller coaster with him. You know, I think there wasn't, but was it maybe two, three months ago? I'm not saying he was on the hot seat, but he was maybe a loss or a loss and a draw away from being in the hot seat. I feel like, you know, he's really risen to the occasion in the Champions League. But I think in Serie A, it's been a little bit more of a mixed bag. Now, I have to give him credit because he was really very stubborn with his 4-3-3, and we've seen him adapt a little bit more, show a different look, especially in Europe. So I feel like he's grown a little bit in the role. Um, I wasn't, you know, particularly thrilled with Roma signing him as a coach. I thought, you know, he did well at Sassuolo for a while, then once Sassuolo's profile raised, he struggled, and I was like, oh, I wonder if he's going to be able to handle that in Roma, but I think, you know, because of his experience as a player and knowing the city, I think overall he's done uh, pretty well. As far as what happened, you know, against Liverpool specifically, you know, it's interesting how a lot of the pundits who were making fun of criticizing Conte and Mourinho for parking the bus, you know, against Liverpool, against you know, like Conte did against Barcelona, were then also criticizing Di Francesco for trying to take the game mm. to them. So I feel like when defeat, you know, it's just so easy to just pile on. So, But I think overall he's done uh, pretty well. Uh, he's definitely exceeded my expectations in the Champions League for sure. And I think in Serie A, to his credit, when it really matters now, he's juggled it well, especially while his team's still playing in Europe. I mean, look, Lazio's out. Inter has, was never even in the competitions, and you got to give credit to Di Francesco how he's managed through that. So you 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 just mentioned Lazio. Um, Roma are in the midst of a pretty interesting and fairly tight race for the Champions League. So yeah. uh, Roma, Lazio tied at seventy points. Then you have uh, you have Inter at sixty six. Um, what do you make of that race? I, to me, you know, I think Lazio have done pretty well this season, you know, especially relative to, to Inter, the, the sort of market they had, and even Milan mm -hmm. uh, to an extent. Um, but a question for you, though. Do you think Lazio making the Champions League over, over Inter negatively affects Serie A? And I mean, not even from a you know, coefficient point standpoint, just more of a high profile. I mean, I think we would all agree Lazio is not, you know, the sexier quote unquote side than Inter, right? Yeah, I, you know, and it's interesting you say that. I actually wrote about that today, and a lot of people have been asking me. It's like, you know, a lot of people say, well, Inter, you know, has bigger brand recognition. That goes without saying. Uh, but you look at Lazio, and I think there's a lot of similarities with, Ro with Roma. Both teams have sold a lot of players in recent years. I think both of them have done a really good job replacing them. 
Uh, look at Inter, though, last season. I think Sabatini pulled that magic trick, selling players who weren't even on the squad um, to keep what he had, keep his big stars to meet financial fair play. He kept everyone, made some additions, but it didn't really work out for them. I mean, look at Lafter was in the Europa League up until a few weeks ago, and they're ahead of Inter. They've managed that better. So I think, you know, it becomes a little bit too easy, and I fall in this trap as well, saying, okay, not in the not in, not in European competitions they'll do better, but you look at Lazio. I think maybe there are reasons to be optimistic that they'll uh, maybe pull a Roma. I mean, both you and I never thought Roma would be this far. I'm not saying Lazio can do the same, but uh, I'm a big believer that if you have a shrewd sporting director and can make the right moves, they might overcome the prestige or the fact that Inter, you know, does have more revenues, but they have financial fair play issues that as far as I know, Lazio doesn't have either. So I can make a great case for either one. So you mentioned sporting directors. Um, so Monchi at Roma, he's been in the role uh, roughly 14, 15 months now. Yep. Um, you're you're big on the transfer market with Gianluca De Marzio's website. So, I have to ask, because he seems to get pelted nonstop about this, do you think his first summer window was as bad as several make it out to be? Because I have to say, I think he's unfairly criticized by it at times. Um, it's a good question. And, and look, I think, you know, he's been unlucky in the sense that Karsdorp and Schick, who were, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, if you look at Monkey, the types of players that he would look and look, Schick, we know how expensive he was, but a player that supposedly had opportunities to improve. Karsdorp, this is a lost season, so we can't really hold that against Monkey there. I think with Chick, we are finally seeing some good signs recently. We know he's battled a lot of uh, health issues throughout the season and even when he was signed. So at least it seems he's ending the season pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of people can point to Moreno, but that was a free transfer. At least he made a plus Valenza on that. So I don't think it was as bad as a lot of people make it out to be. But I also do think that next summer, it's really time for him to put an imprint on the team. Because when I look at, you know, what were the best uh, changes at Roma, Allison wasn't a player that uh, he signed. Uh, Di Francesco, as far as I know, and you probably would know this better than me, I mean, it was really more of uh, the consultant Baldini, I think, really pushed for that. So I think now it's time for Monkey to put his stamp on the team. But now with the more Champions League revenues, uh, you know, maybe he's in a position that he doesn't have to worry about losing one or two big names and instead can make a few additions. So I agree with you. It hasn't been as bad. I just can't judge him on Karsdorp and Schick quite yet. But next summer, the pressure's on for him to live up to his reputation. Okay, perfect segue, because yesterday he gave an interview um, in Il Romanista magazine where he essentially said, um, and here, let me see if I can pull up the quote. I forget it. I won't pull the quote. But he essentially said the situation from last summer to now is essentially almost been flipped on its head. Roma don't necessarily have to sell. He said, it's up to us who we sell. So with that in mind, obviously he's going to have a bit more free range this summer to maybe mold the team into, into his vision. So if you were Roma... We're we're going to assume that they that they qualify for the Champions League next season. Who yep. are some names that you think that they should target? Um, I've seen a lot of people say that they need more depth. 
my opinion would be they need two to three, maybe even four new starters. What What's your opinion on that? Yeah, and just one last thing I forgot to point out on Monkey, and it kind of ties into the question you asked. I think a lot of people judge uh, his first season there on the Salah sale, which, look, you know, now it looks like the bargain of the century for Liverpool. But let's be honest, at the time of the sale, the storyline, Liverpool is spending so much on a PL reject who couldn't do anything at Chelsea. So it's very easy to look at it this way. So I have to get that off my chest. I do think, you know, they need... Yeah, hold on. I said yesterday we need to find the equivalent of BCAD for pre-Neymar, post-Neymar. There has to be something because it's completely unfair. Yeah, it is. And look, again, it's uh, reputation as well. Salah at the time when we were first reporting on the site of the fees, a lot of people were saying, oh, Liverpool is spending too much on a player. But aside from that, I think they need a little bit more speed in the midfield, which is something we talked um, you know, about previously on the podcast. You know, One name that we've linked him to on the Marcia site recently is Samdaria midfielder Pryat. And you know, I think Torreira gets a lot of the hype, rightfully so. But Pryat is a nice player, too. Uh, you know, we now have a good relationship between Roma and Sampdoria. That's a player that they need to look at. I think, you know, in retrospect, maybe the Emerson Palmieri uh, departure wasn't really well thought out. I thought Kolarov was sensational the first half of the season. He's been a little bit better now, but he ran out of gas, you know, more recently. So that's another position that I would look at. Um, I think, too, they need to see, you know, up front, do they feel like Schick and Zeko can play together? I think we've seen uh, some good signs of that recently. So I would really look more to the midfield. Um, you know, to me, Nainggolan and Strutman, you know, are still in their prime, but I kind of consider them maybe a little bit old for their age because of their injuries in Strutman's case and Nainggolan for lifestyle. So that's another <laughs> position that I would look. But, uh, you know, maybe Roma, you know, with the way the season's ending, uh, there's not as many needs as years past. And as all the work you've done on the FFP, this summer, it sounds like there won't be a need to replace big names because they have to sell one or two uh, key players. Yeah, yeah, they're they're certainly in a much stronger position, you know, relative to uh, previous summer. So, to end here, final question. So, it looks like Juve are going to win the Scudetto again. Um, we've seen, I think, just today it came out, if I'm not mistaken, but. Barzaghi has signed a new contract. Chiellini, <laughs> another, has signed a new contract. So with that in mind, um, you know, we've seen Juve win the previous six uh, Scudetti now. Um, when do you think we're going to get to a point when there's more parity at the top? Um, because I, I, the race for the Scudetto this season is, is probably going to end with the same amount of points as it was last season yeah. between Roma and Juve. And I, yeah. I really think that City unfairly gets criticized as a one-team league, but you don't see anywhere near this sort of race in France or in Germany. So how, or how long or how far away do you think we are from a legitimate two, three, four-team race for the Scudetto? So great point there on how Setias perceived. I think, you know, this is two seasons in a row and might have even been longer where the title and Setias decided after the Premier League. Uh, and I'm sure that's true for some other leagues as well. 
I think, though, the key difference is, you know, in the Premier League, maybe the race is longer, but we have different teams at the top. In Serie A, we've had Juve for so long. I think for Napoli and Rome, I mean, Napoli this season are going to break their points record for a season if they haven't already. They're going to have nothing to show for it. We've seen Roma do that twice under two different managers, Garcia and Spalletti. So I I think in a lot of ways it's really, I'd like to almost say it's more about Juve's dominance than the other teams not trying enough. Uh, It feels, though, that Juve's cycle, at least with these players, is really starting to come to an end. I mean, you do mention the extension for Barzagli and Chiellini. I mean, Barzagli is really almost of a part-time player against Inter. Got really exposed. Uh, Chiellini, you know, is very injury-prone. And I think, you know, maybe this cycle with Buffon, who looks like he's going to retire, this cycle for Juve might be coming to an end. But Juve has such an edge with the revenues and how much uh, they they earn compared to some of the other teams that it's going to be hard to bridge the gap. Uh, I I think, you know, Napoli this season got pretty close, but I have a feeling they're going to start taking a step, a major step back even uh, next season. So I think maybe the best hope is what Roma's doing with the stadium and whatnot. I think with Milan, there's so much uncertainty with them. Uh, Inter, you know, does have a more solid ownership group, but they seem they can't seem to be able to get out of their way. So I'm I'm not saying it because I'm on a Roma podcast, but I'm starting to think they might have uh, the most the long-term pieces in place to be the team that maybe ends this reign. But I'm not sure if it's going to be next season quite yet, to be honest. I, I wish I had a different answer, though. <laughs> that's that's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Everyone, David Amoyel, the Couchland Podcast, JanlucaDemarzio.com, ESPN, you can find them all over. David, thank you so much again. Really, really appreciate it. Ah, real pleasure. I'm so glad we did it. I really enjoyed being on the other side getting the questions. So thanks again, John. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks again.